You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and it's local media this week. The programme where we go uh, look at the local media here in Clare, the Clare Echo and the Clare Champion we have this week. And we look at some of the stories and we have a chat about them. Uh, we're joined here by most of our panel this evening. Uh, first of all, John S. Kelly, you're welcome, John. Thank you very much, Jim. Pat O'Brien, Pat, you're welcome also. Thanks, Jim. We don't have David Fleming this evening. Uh, he's Oslaher uh, again. So that means that uh, Luke Fleming is off the bench and warming up on the sidelines. So welcome, Luke. Thanks, Jim. And it's a great pleasure for us this evening to welcome a guest. Uh, on the line, we're joined by, from the Care Champion, Dan Danaher. Dan, you're very, very welcome to local media this week. Thank, thank you very much to, to join you. Great to have you, and uh, we've had your, your colleague, uh, Fiona McGarry, uh, some time ago, so it's great to welcome you as well, particularly since yourself and herself shared the East Clare page. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Dan, I suppose, first of all, let's just focus not on the news, but on yourself. Uh, where did you come from? Uh, how did you get into journalism and um, how, have you been with the Clare Champion for a long time? So I'm the native there of Lahal. It's uh, a small rural village here between Fines and Green. And I grew up there in a dairy farm about two miles from the village. And I suppose from a young age, I always liked reading. And in particular, uh, newspapers was, was a particular passion of mine. So after completing the leading certificate, I was lucky enough to scrape into the College of College at Mines, the journalism course. So after completing a two-year course there, I got a job in the Midland Tribune there in Boronofany. And after spending five and a half years with the Midland Tribune, I got a job with the Clare Champion in November 96, and they haven't kicked me out yet. Good, and I don't think they will either, Dan, in fairness. And of course, you have been, I know you cover stories countywide, but in recent times, you particularly have covered the East Clare area with the, the East Clare page, both yourself and Fiona. Absolutely, yeah, the two of us have covered that area there for, for the last number of years. Okay, and we've had Fiona on the programme, actually not that long ago we had Fiona, maybe in the last couple of months. Anyway, Dan, looking at, we're just looking, I suppose, at this week's uh, Clare Champion, there's a number of stories there that have been, that you have uh, covered this week, and they're all to do, in one way or another, with the, the health system, the HSE, the hospitals. Um, for example, on page one, you have a story about uh, an unfortunate woman who had uh, a traumatic, uh, post-op scenario um, in, in uh, UL, or in, in University, of University Hospital, Hospital of Limerick. Yeah, that's the case. I, I suppose for some time now, I've been covering a number of stories there in relation to University Hospital Limerick, and it was the impact on overcrowding. And I suppose, unfortunately, the, the numbers on toilets have been climbing over the last year to record levels. I suppose behind all the numbers is actually people. And I suppose in particular, it's very disturbing to see elderly people spending a long time waiting times on, on, on a trolley. 
Now, this story actually referred to a three-year-old mother of one who had a hysterectomy, and she claims that she left the hospital with salpidine uh, and paracetamol. Uh, and six hours later, she found herself in extreme pain, and she ended up being had to be driven back into UHL to get proper pain-killing medication. And she says that when she went to the ED, she wasn't believed and the talk to me that she was crazy. And it took her a long time uh, to actually get somebody, a doctor, to come down and give her morphine. And at one stage, she was bent over uh, in, in a chair in, in a room and she was crying for a freaking period. So, a very, a very, I suppose, unfortunate situ- situation for herself. Um, it was very distressing. Thankfully, she eventually got the morphine and she got back home around quarter past 12 and she kind of recovered then after that. And of course, what she really illustrated when she had the operation, she was treated very well. But the big problem with UHL is getting access. And unfortunately, since the closure of the 24-hour accident emergency uh, facilities there in Ennisina and St. John's, Overcrowding has been a very common problem there in University Hospital Limerick. Could I ask, and Dan John here, could I ask you um, yes. a question? You do a lot Certainly. of investigative journalism, okay? Um, how do you actually get the story? How, does the, how do you go about it? Next week, you know, you're thinking about, I suppose, some stories that you uh, elaborate on. Yeah, I suppose that comes through research, extensive research. It comes through your contacts, which may be true public representatives or people that you've met over the years. And I could have covered, you know, a story with somebody doing maybe a charity run for cancer, and two years later they could find themselves in a in a difficult situation with the hospital, so they would kind of ring me or contact me, or I could be talking to a public representative who would t- let me know that, look, there is a person there who has a difficulty and they will check out if they're interested in, in, in commenting on their particular difficulty. And you ever, there's various you're... ways, I suppose, of unearthing different uh, stories, but I suppose a lot of it comes from experience. Do you ever actually get negative reactions from the public to what you have written? Yeah, you would. That's, that, that is, I suppose, part of the territory. Um, sometimes people don't like maybe the, tr- the truth being reported. <laughs> um, I, I suppose my job is to act in the public interest mm. and to uncover maybe sometimes facts that are uncomfortable. And sometimes in these stories might make, make great reading in terms of there might be what we call very positive maybe for the hospital or for, for the HSC or whatever, but that's my job. My job is, is to highlight in, in, inequalities and maybe waste of public money and to highlight the problem so the pressure is put on the HSE, the hospital, the health minister to actually address the deficiencies that are there because all these deficiencies are affecting people and unfortunately whether you're living in East Clare or North Clare or West Clare, if you have a life-threatening injury, 
are an illness, you have to go to a university hospital limit. You have no choice. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, in the majority of cases, that means ending up on a trial uh, for long periods of time. And if you don't have someone to advocate for you, if, like if, for example, if you're somebody living alone and you're wearing a trolley, and you need to retire in the middle of the night, in a lot of cases, the nurses and doctors are so busy, they're so rushed off their feet, you could be calling and calling, and they just physically don't have the time to to take you to the toilet. I mean, I have a story there this week with Senator Roisin Garvey, who broke her leg there in June, and she ended up in the uh, emergency hospital, as the, the emergency department there in, in UHL. And she found herself at one stage, it was an old man looking for blankets. Yeah. And he was asking, he couldn't get it. And she asked three times. Eventually, she got a blanket. And she was going around in the wheelchair, giving out blankets and giving out water. And she had, she told me in the interview, I didn't know that she felt embarrassed for the staff because they were under so much pressure. And she felt embarrassed for the patient, the elderly patients in particular, that this is the kind of service that they were getting. And after all their years of life, working hard, uh, you know, for, for, for abiding citizens, we we should be treating people a lot better than we are. Uh, okay, okay. You, you choose the front page um, and it's a major heading for the readers. Woman's Hospital Post of Trauma. Okay. Now, it's a serious piece of writing, and it, is, it contains a very serious complaint. Will the hospital act on, in any way now to um, respond? Well, I suppose uh, that is a matter for the hospital. It's also a matter for the, for, for the Minister for Health. I suppose by <coughs> highlighting the issue, it does put a certain amount of pressure on the hospital, A, to respond, and D, to put new measures in place to, to reduce the chances of this happening again. Um, I can't obviously force the hospital to take action, but I do believe that by highlighting it, uh, there is an onus on other people who are in authority and who have been paid to deliver healthcare to, to do what they can to ensure that, that the likelihood of this is greatly reduced. Fair comment, fair comment. I'm just looking, Dan, on page four of the Care Champion as well. You have a story uh, of a petition, of a hospital petition signed by 15,000 people uh, calling for the upgrading, and we mentioned it there a while ago, of Ennis, Nina and St. John's Hospital in Limerick. Um, I mean, in your view, to, to put the extra resources in to upgrade those three hospitals Surely that would take pressure off the A&E inside Endura Doyle. Yes, there is. There has been a kind of a long-running campaign to get uh, Innes, uh, Nina and St. John's upgraded. Unfortunately, the reconfiguration that was brought in in April 2009 hasn't worked. Now, there are, there are two, I suppose, schools of thought the HSE and the Minister, they have consistently said that if you were to reopen the ED, you need specialist staff, you'd need, it's estimated about six 
um, emergency consultants. You would need a lot more nurses and staff. You'd need specialised equipment. So it would take a lot of investment. Now, as well, the UN Hospitals Group, they have stated uh, in responses to me that it's not their role to decide to, to reopen a, the ED in, in Ennis or Neen or St. John's, that that actually is a government policy decision. So unfortunately, when it comes to health, a lot of times there, there's a kind of, kind of a passing of the book that, that one person, one agency is saying it's a matter for another agency or it's a matter for the minister and the minister is saying it's a matter for the HSE. So this to and flowing goes on quite a bit. Um, and unfortunately, patients are suffering. I suppose the big issue is regardless whether you agree or disagree whether it is to be opened, it's a certainly a statement of fact to say that there is a huge lack of capacity in UHL. One of the mistakes that was made when beds were taken out of Ennis, Nina and St. John's was that the required replacement beds were not put in fast enough. And that was and now with the increase in population and in particular with the increase in elderly population, it has now emerged that UHL or the region would need at least two hundred extra beds. Do you remember so, heading in that campaign? Uh, pardon me? Do you recall the era when the beds were removed from Ennis and it was all in pursuit of a centre of excellence? That, mm. that, that expression rings in my ear. Uh, the centre of excellence, the beds Absolutely. went, but the centre... Yeah, no, the, the, the people, are, people were promised a certain centre of excellence and I think it's certainly fair to say that hasn't transpired. <laughs> and there is a lot of reasons for that, but I think, unfortunately, one of the big issues, as I said, is capacity. And at the time of the reconfiguration, the mistake that the government made and the, the, the HUC was it didn't put in enough beds to Limerick to cope with all the extra patients that are coming from North Tipperary, Limerick City and County, and Clare. So, unfortunately, the Centre of Excellence did not materialise. We're looking at a, a piece by Porrick McMahon in the Clare Echo, which, which goes along with, with what you're saying, and it talks about a new record for an average seven-day attendance at the emergency department has been set. And I suppose we've been talking about UL, I don't know for how long. Have we been talking about it for 10, 15 years, oh, maybe yeah. longer? Yeah. Um, so time isn't the problem because we had loads of time to, to cure it. Uh, why do you think that um, the HSE and the department, or whoever, whichever it is, haven't put the resources into it? Well, the, 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 I suppose, unfortunately, the, back in 2008, we, we went into a recession, and that, I suppose, would, would have been a, a, a big difference in terms of getting the required investment. Another issue, I think, is that the length of time it takes to, to deliver beds in Ireland is just way too long. From the time that even when the UL Hospital Group gets approval from the HSE, from the time it is to have planning, architects design and then get the green light go through the various different stages 
construction starts and then you have equipping and you're staffing. It can often take four or five years, even for something maybe to provide an extra hundred beds, which needs to be dramatically reduced if we're ever really going to get on top of this problem, in my view. Yes. You know, the, the cynic out there in the Midwest, uh, Dan, might say that it's one thing to put a block on a block, and that, uh, that's good, you know, we're, we're expanding, we're putting in uh, capacity. But the real hmm. elephant in the room, I understand, is the actual human capital to fill. I mean, there's not, not much point in having an, another theatre if we haven't got the actual uh, personnel. And we are, seem to be hugely short of consultant-level personnel. Yeah, that is, that is, big, that is a big issue. The, the Irish Hospital Consultants Association uh, issued a statement there or two weeks ago, I remember covering it there in the Care Champion, and they highlighted huge issues in terms of the retention of consultants, recruitment of consultants in the Midwest and the retention of consultants in the Midwest. And I suppose nurses and doctors, they are the key workers in terms of any hospital, including porters and other allied professionals. But you're right, there's no point in having state-of-the-art facilities unless you have the staff to run that. And one of the issues that has been highlighted to me on a regular basis is that even for filling of casual vacancies, there seems to be an, a lot of a red tape that a manager has to go through before that person is replaced. And then what happens is that the HSE end up hiring agency staff, which costs maybe an average maybe 20% more, which is costing more money. And you have an agency person coming in maybe on a temporary basis. And there's an awful difference between permanent staff and agency staff. With respect, and I don't mean that as a criticism of anyone who's, who works in, in, as part of an agency. But if you are made permanent in any job and you're living in an area and you're working there for a good while, you're going to be more invested and you're, in my view, you're going to be more committed. To, to tackling the problems that need to be tackled. If you're there on a temporary basis, you know, you're not going to maybe bring in or suggest changes as much as if you're there much longer, in, in, in my view. Okay, Dan. If we, we just change for a moment, I see, Pat, you're looking there on page three of the Clare Champion. I see down at the bottom corner an ESB advert for energy for a brighter future, talking about their offshore wind virtual consultation. And up at the top then, Flynn quits 2040 role over data center plan. We've, yeah, um, we've talked about this before here on this program, Pat. Yeah, um, Pat O'Brien here then. Um, an Inus councillor has resigned from the company set up to deliver Inus two, 240 objectives, having appealed in onboard Planola against controversial plans for the 450 million data center. Councilman Johnny Flynn made the announcement he, has, he is stepping down from the NS240 Strategic Development Designated Activity Company, DLC, at the monthly meeting of the NS Municipal District. The development of a data centre at Torreen plays a central role in the NS240 plan, where he's included among, uh, among a number of transformal projects from the county catalogue. 
council been told the meeting he did not want to distract from minutes too far. Here as he walked after launching his appeal against the development on the Toro Road. So um, I suppose he's appealed to on board Nala and uh, he, he, he's, I suppose he's compromised by it and he's, he's decided to step away. Yes. I suppose, Dan, you have covered the data centre and that whole planning uh, experience comprehensively in the Champion, as, as have the Clare Echo. Um, and it's, I think this one, Dan, is going to run and run. Absolutely, yeah. No, it, it, is a, it is a major development and I suppose, again, I suppose the, the, the supporters of that would say that, look, it's going to bring uh, a lot of investment into the, into the town already, bring a certain level of jobs, and it would be good for the development of Venice. The as well, environmentalists are very concerned about the, 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 the energy requirements of the data centre and that the, you know, the energy would use and that is one of the key concerns of Councillor Johnny Flynn, who has submitted a comprehensive appeal there to board Panana. And he feels that because this is a, a cornerstone of, of, of 2040, that he can't reconcile the two uh, objectives and has decided to, 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 to step down from it. Um, it is very interesting, I suppose, what on board Panana will decide in relation to this major development, whether they will grant it with subject to certain stringent conditions or whether they will actually refuse it. So th there will be a lot of interest in, in this particular uh, planning application in, in the way it's dealt with. Yes, but I suppose, and, and we all use our, our smartphones and we do emails and we do everything like that so we we sort of need data centers but at the same time maybe um that we don't want them near us or we don't want to that, that there's other aspects that we feel might be uh, a problem for us sorry john you want to come in yeah i, I do indeed uh, dan i was met by a, a citizen of scarif uh, yesterday evening and he said to me i know that you're you're uh, recording your uh, media program tomorrow. Will you ask this question of the panel? I said, I will. What is the question? Well, I have put in, he said, I have put in solar panels. Okay? And I have oh. surplus electricity. And it's going into the main grid. And I'm not getting any acknowledgement of it. In the name of all that's good and holy, Dan, can you justify that? I certainly wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't attempt to justify that. I mean, if, if a person is, you know, acting very responsibly and, and creating renewable energy and uh, has surplus renewable energy, they certainly should be compensated for that. That that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, energy at the moment, I thought, is a very hot topic because of the, the cost of living crisis. Yeah. And, you know, we're hearing a lot of stories there in relation to businesses who are being crippled with huge increases in their energy bills. Uh, there's concerns about possible blackouts uh, coming before Christmas. 
and I suppose what's very concerning, particularly for the elderly, uh, is the, the, will they have enough um, money to heat their homes and will they be able to pay for it? Okay, but so this is all tied into this debate about renewable energy and I suppose it's interesting you, you, you mentioned here about the, the money by consultation and I suppose it's very hard to understand how offshore wind certainly is something that could have been developed and these people were going to do that with, with a business partner who pulled out there uh, last year because of bureaucracy and because of the length of time it takes to get a development up like that yeah. through the different planning approvals. And that is totally unacceptable from where I'm sitting. In my view, the government knew this problem was coming down the, the tracks, you know, 10 years ago. Climate change is, isn't uh, certainly a new problem. And certainly it's very disappointing that they haven't put the necessary procedures and kind of doing it now to yeah. encourage investors to come in and build offshore wind farms, which, as I understand, certainly are more acceptable than onshore wind farms. And there's huge potential there to generate a huge amounts of electricity. And now there's a growing from I see from the national newspaper papers there's a growing um, antipathy towards even having the actual uh, windmills out in the ocean. It, it disturbs uh, the your sensitivity, Jim, hmm. to your environment. Well, uh, we also we also have seventy have seventy uh, windmills in Derry Brian and they're switched off. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to be, they have to be taken down. So, what do you think of that, Pat? I think it's madness anyway. Yeah, I think it should. Would you take it off? Well, again, again, it depends what, what side of the fence you are there in, in, in Derry Brian. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the government or, or the ESB doesn't have a choice there because because of an EU court ruling, which which fined Ireland considerably. Uh, there was an on the spot fine, and then there was a daily fine of about 15,000. And unfortunately, when the wind farm was being developed first, they didn't follow all the environmental procedures uh, before permission was, was, was granted. And this was taken to, as I understand it, it was taken to the European Court, and the European Court ruled against Ireland. Now, I can so understand that there is some people there feel that there was a, a, a perfectly good wind farm that could power a lot of whole energy for homes, and why are you taking it down? But um, from a legal perspective, as I understand it, I, and I'm certainly not a barrister, um, I, don't think, I don't think the ESB have any choice, or the government has yeah, any the choice. Government, to this. Yeah, the government it has to be decommissioned. The, the government, Dan, Dan, the government do have a choice. There is a, a clause which enables them to take back ownership of that particular project. And it, they may face objections to it. What's it called? A substitute? Um, consent. Con substitute consent. Okay? And we're saying over here, on this side of the fence, of course, you're dead right. Uh, One's attitude is influenced hugely by which side of the fence on the Derry Brine terrain you are, okay? But it's, 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 it's not sufficiently out there in the public domain, Dan. The public 
ardent participating. There you are. Yeah, so, so I just, I just I missed so much what you were saying there, John. If you just repeat that again, please. I said the public, uh, essentially, the public is not aware because the media does not give a sufficient amount of coverage to substitute consent, yes. It's not what we call it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there okay. has to be a there has to be a media campaign to see is there an alternative to taking up how many how many windmills? Seventy. Seventy tat. Mm. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It seems strange we're taking down windmills and we're facing a, a winter Black of, of, of discontent. <laughs> yeah. No, I can I can I can I can appreciate that and, and look. Um, I would have thought if there was a way around this, like the ESP are in energy generation for a, a very long time. And uh, I can only say that I would have expected that if if they can do that through subject consent, and I'm not certainly an expert on that, yeah, I think they should have done that. But it's not over they, yet, though. Rightly or wrongly, they have accepted uh, the, the ruling and they have agreed to decommission the plant. Okay. Listen, just before we reach our half-time break, Dan, uh, you have a lovely piece on page eight um, of somebody that we all know back here in East Clare, uh, white gate man living in Scariff, the editor of the Schlievati Journal, Ger Madden, and a new, um, a new edition of the Schlievati Journal, the excellent Schlievati Journal, is coming out shortly. Yes. Uh, I, I spoke to uh, an interview there, Chair Madden, there in, in Montreal and there on, on a Monday evening, and um, he, he gave me a copy there of the journal. And I have to say that there were some very interesting articles in it. Um, you, you, you may have seen it already, uh, but he just gave, he just gave me a flavour, and I just like, it's impossible to cover all the articles in, 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 in the article I did, I, I just give, I suppose, maybe some of the, the, the headings. But there are some very interesting articles. And I think he, he made some very valid points in terms of folklore and history uh, and in terms of even townlands. And he referred there to one of his contributors there, Christy Kniff, who stated there that it is important to state that every townland in the Sleeve Uplands requires an in-depth study and it is only once each townland is examined in detail that a comprehensive multidisciplinary history can be written of the region. Uh, so that, to me, encapsulates the importance of you know, townlands and in, in, in settlements and in communities and I suppose the history and folklore of those particular areas and I think there's great credit to people like Jeremy and Dennis Maloney who give up their free time to research uh, local history uh, and produce it then in this journal as, as Jerry was saying to me, when he started first to be even part of this, might only take, might only, might only be enough material for five or six journals. This yeah. is the 18th one, and he tells me that he could easily bring out two or three journals. There's so much material out there. So I think it's very important that this information is recorded for 
young generation and for future generations. And certainly there is uh, plenty of food for thought in, in, in the articles that, that is, are included there in, in, in the latest edition. Yeah, and of course for Ger, Dan, it's been a lifelong passion and there's no sign of that passion um, being quenched at any stage soon. So we look for, we haven't seen a copy of it here now, but uh, we look forward to very much to attending the launch and talking to Ger. John, Jim, Friday the 23rd of September. Friday 23rd. Nine, nine o'clock in McNamara's bar in, in the Lovely. launch. Yeah. No, in, in, in fairness, Chair is very passionate about history and folklore, and I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's important that that is recognised and that there's, it's valued by people, because unfortunately, if, if this isn't done, and I, I see one of your panellists there is, is Pat O'Brien, who, who, who certainly <laughs> is, is no stranger to, 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 to local history and the importance of it, and I certainly think this, this is very important work. Okay. Dan, many thanks. We'll take a break at this stage. And as well as being interested in local history, Dan, Pat O'Brien is our resident DJ here <laughs> on the panel of local media this week. So, I, Dan, Pat, what are we going to listen to? As we're on the list of the festival scene, Jim, we'll bring and shine, catch me if you can. Okay, grand. So, uh, we have that. that. Was, was that a male or a female that spoke? <laughs> <laughs> we do, we'll try and figure it out during the break. <laughs> I'm awful shifty, but a man of 15. Catch me if you can, my name is Dan Shine, your man. You're very welcome back. You're listening to Local Media this week on Scarlet Bay Community Radio, and that was the great Brendan Shine with uh, Catch Me If You Can. And... Uh, People trying to catch Pat O'Brien around this Varna. Uh, hopefully. Anyway, we're joined as well on the line by uh, who's staying with us for, for the rest of the programme, and that's Dan Danaher from the Clare Champion. And uh, just looking at a story, Dan, on page 13, I'll go back to you again. A few weeks ago there, we were down at a Garda uh, celebration there in the square, and I remember we saw you there. Uh, and we, hmm. we covered it here on the radio and we, we saw the various, we saw the Gardaí and the various arms of the Gardaí and also some of the other um, um, services that are there and that's one there, the Killaloo Coast Guard and uh, you have a good piece about them there on page 13 and of course they do tremendous work. Absolutely, um, I have a story there with Jason and Audrey Kinney, their uh, husband and wife we call a duo, duo there who they were honoured there for 10 years of service there for the Kildo Coast Guard. So between them, they have given 20 years of service. And I suppose that's, in my view, interesting because the Coast Guard involves a, a massive commitment in terms of training and in terms of being on call. And it involves, you know, a lot of sacrifice for, for, for the volunteers. Now, in this case, you have uh, a couple who have three children, and in, in my view, it's even more laudable that the two of them are involved because it's 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 trickier than trying to get maybe maybe some of the minor children or just for, for the children to get away at a particular time, whether it's training or a call out. 
but, but both Jason and Audrey are very committed to the Coast Guard uh, and they, in the interview I did them, they illustrated that on one occasion they were in the summer, they were actually off call, they were on holidays and they, they, the pager went off and they saw that there was the, the numbers of volunteers were low so they decided to make their way to Pierhead in Killaloo and they helped launch the rib and they went to O'Brien's Ridge uh, to, to rescue a kayaker who it turned out managed to kind of to, 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 to climb to safety. But that I suppose is, is an illustration there of the commitment of volunteers that sometimes even if they're even if they're off call, that they're prepared to give up their time and and and, 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 and go to the unit. And they explained that uh, one of the cars they were involved in there was there was four ladies who were on a cruiser and uh, unfortunately, they, they just ran, ran aground there um, in, in Loch Derg, and they went out and they, they went out with, with, with their vessel and, and they rescued them, brought them back to shore. And overall, that took about seven hours. So it, it just gives a little illustration there of the commitment and the time involved. And I suppose one of the things that struck, struck to me or stuck, stuck out to me was when I asked or do, do people appreciate, you know, when you come on to them to, to help them, and she said, you could see the relief in their faces. So yes. that, to me, sums it all up. Uh, Lockdown is becoming increasingly popular for boating, for uh, sailing, for canoeing, for a variety of, of different water activities. And it's absolutely vital to have a unit like the, the, the Kildare Coast Guard because uh, the weather can change very quickly, and certainly in some spots like Parker's uh, Point are notorious for changes in, in wind direction, um, which can lead to difficulty for somebody on a boat, even if they're very experienced. So having a Coast Guard there is something that is absolutely vital. Okay, and it's and you have it in the the front or in the the headline there, a very fulfilling when you complete a rescue. Pat, you and, want to... And just, uh, I'd just like to, to say that um, so all, the, all these people are volunteers, that, that they have no retainers. Like, you'd imagine they shouldn't be getting some sort of a, a retainer, you know, the, 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 they, 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 they do vital work uh, everywhere. Yeah, I, and I, they, and they don't I, I agree. Anymore. I think given, given the commitment that's involved and given the time that's involved, uh, I think the likes of firefighters have a retainer and Coast Guard volunteers don't. Yeah. So certainly that is an anomaly that should be addressed. Yes. Yes, certainly, yeah. And I suppose looking on the other side of the bridge, Dan, uh, from Killaloo, there's uh, submissions are being sought for a Lochter Greenway on the other side of the lake from us here. Yeah, that, that, that is an interesting proposal, I, I suppose. Greenways now are becoming very popular both for, both for cycling and for uh, walking. And like I thought, you have to look at uh, Lockdown doesn't have any borders. So if you look like a community there, like Kinlo, Ballina, while they're in two separate counties, it's very much the one community. And that really made it proposed there from uh, Kinlo there, up to Gary Kennedy and Drummond 
a lot of people who will be living in East Clare, you know, could benefit from that uh, if, if if it goes ahead. Uh, if you take the likes of Two and Tina, uh, the graves of the Leinster men, some very scenic points there, just a short distance from Ballina. Obviously, on the clear side, you have Mylusa, you have Clare's for Carr. So I suppose people are spoiled for choice when it comes to amenity areas and when it comes to really scenic walks in that particular area. And that all feeds into the whole slow tourism, which I think is something that, you know, businesses in East Clare and like the Walkways Island and Clare County Council, they're trying to promote that. And I certainly think that that's the way forward. Yes. And I suppose not to leave them out either down in O'Brien's Bridge uh, a, a grant has been awarded of €13,000 uh, to help them with their Luke walk. And it's a lovely little village there, uh, O'Brien's Bridge, and I see you have a piece on it there. There's a photograph. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely village and Montpellier at the other side, but um, it's, it's a lovely scenic yeah. part of the county as well. Well, that, that, in fairness, that, that's a very good illustration of community endeavour, where a number of uh, people there in O'Brien's Bridge and Montpelier got together on Tuesday evenings, and for about two hours, they they grew from them, cleared away of briars and grass and you know grass that was on the loop walk from uh, O'Brien's Bridge up to the up to the up to Dalton towards Clannara. Because the, the the it was becoming very overgrown, and pedestrians were having difficulty getting a kind of a clear passage. Yeah. So they have done tremendous work clearing that walkway, and now Waterways Island have come on board and they have rewarded our endeavour by giving them this grant, and they're also uh, coming on board to carry out some repairs. On the, the river bank there, there's a, there's a number of cracks there which need work. And also they're going to put new signage on the walkway, which would be very welcome. It's a beautiful walkway. I have walked it and I would, I would certainly urge anyone who wants to have a leisurely stroll to, 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 to give it a try. Okay. We're looking here at John. The Scud missile coming, is it? Joanna Baguka. <laughs> and and she, she took your interest there because uh, she's a Polish native, but um, she's done something quite remarkable. Absolutely. And you, as an ex-teacher, will have occasion to reflect on this, Jim. Joanna has passed Irish in the Leaving Cert. Now, that's no big, no big deal. After studying the language for just, wait for it, a year and a half. Yeah. Now, how about that? How many years did we spend studying Irish? All our lives, John. <laughs> Joanna, who emigrated from Poland to Ireland with her parents at the age of 11, she never studied Irish at all, but did a little bit of private. Isn't that amazing? Amazing, yeah. Huh? In fairness, that's, that, that's a very good achievement to, 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 to get that. And I suppose it, it, it illustrates when you have a determination to do something, even something that's you know is a foreign language, when you put your mind to it, yeah, you can achieve it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Looking at another lady, and she's her picture is in the front page of the Clare Echo, and there's a, a story by Ty Holland. Uh, she's a Ukrainian model and fashion blogger, Karina Lira. And uh, she has all kinds of wonderful things to say about <laughs> County Clare, <laughs> Pat, and its people. Yeah, Ty, Ty Collins at the store here in Pierce, Fellow of the Echo. Uh, well known Ukrainian model and fashion blogger, Karina Lira, has praised the people of Clare for the unbelievable kindness they have shown the refugees fleeing the war torn homeland. Karina, who now lives in Eastern Verma, left home in Kiev for the Polish border the day Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The flew flying to Ireland with her family one month later to escape the fear of shelling and, and the craziness of the war. When I was leaving my homeland, it was like I was in a coma. I couldn't even think. I was just terrified of everything and kind of ashamed of what was going. I was doing leaving my country. We had no accommodation, no work, and we just arrived. I went to a policeman and said we were from the Ukraine. We need shelter. So that's a, it's a lovely story. A nice story. I thought, lads, you were going to talk about uh, Councillor Nestor, who is quitting the council for the priesthood, which is in uh, both, both papers. Both and yeah. Dan, if you don't mind me asking you, just in, in relation to it, I said we just bring it around to a sort of a, a political side of things. Uh, Mark will say Mark will say is quitting, and he's one of the youngest um, councillors. And now our, our own councillors in the Kilu Municipal D District, uh, I, I, I don't want to be casting aspersions on them, but none of them are in the early flow of their youth, but, <laughs> but they have plenty of experience. I, I, I say, Alan um, would, would contest this. Yeah, well, no, well okay, we say maybe Alan aside, but I, I suppose just. I like to, your to, use of the word flow, yeah, early to, flow. To bring things, we'll say, to a political side of things and, and just more. more to East Clare and maybe in general, what are your thoughts on, we'll say, potential issues that are going to um, put affect the people of East Clare in the coming months? And is there any, you know, is there any big sort of a potential, you know, mine, mine that are, you know, the, what the political minefield? Is there anything that could cause trouble, we'll say, for the local councillors or for the government? <laughs> I know where you're getting now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I suppose that the, 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 there's, a, there's always issues. I mean, it's, it's, the saying goes, all, all politics is local. There's a number of wind farms mooted there for East Clare. And again, depending on what side of the fence you are, you know, if, if you are a renewable energy advocate, you would be supporting of them. If you are maybe living very close to them, uh, you know, you could have concerns understandably in relation to maybe noise or and flicker and I suppose maybe the location in the scenic area. So that that could that could cause difficulties there um for for, for the council in terms of if, if they're granted, you know, there may there may be appeals and unfortunately they tend to be a little bit divisive in local communities concerning landowners where the, the the turbines are located and residents who have concerns who are actually opposed to them. Yeah. Um, I would say nationally 
when it's not really a council issue, the, the, the energy crisis is something that is going to affect everybody in, in Trocare, including East Clare. Uh, there's a lot of concern about possible blackouts. There's concern um, about will businesses have to curtail their business to, to, to save costs and, and to save energy. Obviously, there'll be a big concern for the elderly. Will they have enough um, money uh, and power to heat their homes, which is, is, is a, uh, a very important issue. So while this mightn't be a function of the county council, uh, I would certainly expect that a lot of residents in East Clare will be contacting their public representatives and asking them to highlight this issue uh, at national level to, 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 to bring some sort of solutions to it. I have two little questions for you, uh, Dan. Um, yep. That you you could reflect maybe um, and come back to us sometime. Who shot Michael Collins? <laughs> <laughs> the one. And the, the second the second one is is more immediate. Is technology a threat to the survival of of newspapers? It, it, it is. It, it is a trend. I, I suppose social media has become more, more dominant, uh, and it, it is it is really shaping society. And it can it can be for good, but also there is abuses of social media which can cause a lot of harm, particularly to all people of all ages, but particularly young people, where they feel under pressure to. Uh, act or to look in a certain way, and, and that can cause a lot of problems. In terms of the media, I suppose, yes, people are getting used to getting uh, stories and information free, so that has led to maybe a, a reduction in people buying newspapers. Uh, so, so that is, is certainly a concern. And I suppose trying to how we can monetize uh, putting stories on the internet is 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 tricky. Um, some papers there have have a paywall, and then you pay a subscription. But you need to have a lot of subscribers to make that worthwhile, um, and it's, it's certainly not an easy thing to achieve. Okay. I suppose we've only got a few minutes left. We've only about three minutes to go. Just a couple of things, I suppose. We can't let it, the occasion go without... Luke, next Wednesday evening, uh, and it's on the front page of the champion, the Aga Khan trophy is coming to Tumgraney. I was sure, of course, it is, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> where, where else would it go to? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, now, seeing as there's a good East Clare man sort of in charge of the team, it's only fitting that it comes to, to, to uh, the proper part of the, of, of the county. And uh, Dan, I, I, I presume a few, uh, you, you might be out there yourself, and I'm sure there, there'll be a few more people out there. And uh, Yeah, yeah much. My colleague, Fiona um, McGarry, ha has a story on that. Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's going to be a night that, that, that people are going to remember. I mean, people certainly were talking about 95 when the Lee McCarthy Cup came to Clare and, and people in East Clare would have their own memories of that. 
And I'm sure while the, 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 the horse uh, sewer jumping in that uh, mightn't have the same appeal as uh, Gaelic Games, this is a massive achievement uh, for Michael Blake uh, and the, the, the Irish team. And to, the fact that the Aga Khan uh, trophy, this world-renowned trophy, will be coming to Tom Grady. Uh, there will be a civic ceremony there. No, I, I think it, it will be great for East Clare. And I think it's something that people will, will look back on with a great sense of pride uh, in years to come. Okay. Can I just, because we're literally in the last 90 seconds of the programme, you have a piece, uh, Dan, this week as well, uh, again referring to East Clare, on a new guide that's been produced uh, to Killaloo Cathedral, which um, is really, you know, it's exciting both for, for visitors and for locals. Yes, the, the, the um, uh, Deborah Dudgeon and... Uh, Judith Hill, they have combined there to, to, to provide a very informative uh, guide there for St. Fred's Cathedral there in Killaloo. It's absolutely steeped in history. I, I would certainly encourage anyone who's in the area just to drop in and have a look. Uh, and this guide is an ideal uh, brochure to have when you're going around looking at the monuments, looking at the artefacts, and just just appreciating history there on, 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 on the banks there of the River Shannon. Certainly, I, I, I think it's, it's a very welcome addition. Yeah, it's, it's, when you walk into that building, you're literally walking back in history. It's, it's such a fantastic place. Okay. So it is, I, I think and it, it's very much underutilised, and I think in fairness there to the Vestry Committee, um, uh, they are trying to open it up and they have an ambitious development plan there for the cathedral and, and they're trying to bring art uh, and music into it. And there's a festival there, the St. Louis Festival there that, that, that's coming up there uh, shortly. And that again is going to be a celebration of of the water and history and the cathedral is going to be playing a, a prominent role in this. Lovely. Okay, we leave it at that. We've reached uh, full time. Uh, my thanks uh, this weekend to our regular panellists, which is John S. Hi, Jim. And Pat. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Luke for stepping off the bench again and onto the pitch and playing uh, a blinder as usual. And uh, our special thanks to Dan Danaher of the Clare Champion, uh, who's joined us today on the line. Dan, many thanks. And please, God, the next time uh, we might have you, we might be able to offer you a cup of tea here. You might be here beside us. Hopefully, hopefully it's something, yeah. Hopefully, look, and certainly thanks for, thanks for the invitation. Okay, we'll finish up again with uh, Pat O'Brien and his choice of music. What is it today, Pat? We'll, we'll, uh, Jim, we'll have Michael Blubley and uh, save the last dance for me. By God, we're, we're, we're heading to this dune. <laughs> Listen, many thanks to all our listeners. We'll see you again, please, God, next week at 2 o'clock on Sunday. For now, goodbye and God bless. Now you can dance 
Every dance with the guy who gives you the eye, let him hold you tight. 